Hey guys, Cable here, and this week's podcast is proudly brought to you by Pyro Putty. This is a product that uh, I'm very excited about as far as reinventing the wheel when it comes to fire starting technology. You can get Pyro Putty wet, it's still going to light. You can attach it to a wet log, it's going to burn long enough to start a fire on that wet wood. So when it comes to boosting morale in the backcountry, what, what is better than a a warm fire, right? There's nothing. You get home from a long day, back to camp. You've been chasing elk through the mountains or mule deer or whatever for you know, from sun up to sundown. You're cold and you're wet, and you can't get a fire started. Not because you don't have a fire starter, but because that fire starter doesn't do the job. Well, Pyro Putty does, and you can find it at pyroputty.com. It's a size of about a can of dip. That's all it is. And inside that can of dip, you got a seven hour burn time. You put a, a piece the size of a nickel on a stick, and it's gonna burn for eight to 10 minutes. It's Pyro Putty, you need it in your backcountry kit. It's gonna boost morale, could save your life, you never know, uh, but you can find it at pyroputty.com. And tonight we're riding up to Amarillo Good morning, good morning, good morning, Cable Smith. Welcome everybody to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. A little help there from Mike and the Moon Pies. Smoke them if you got them. Kicking things off for us. Thank you guys and gals for being here. It is a treat to be talking, hunting, fishing. The great outdoors and all that implies with you today. Uh, so I do appreciate you dropping by. We have got a good one lined up for you today. I'm going to tell you what's on the docket here in just a second. But man, uh, it's like I, I feel like we are moving out of the dog days of summer at this point and getting into that exciting time of year where, you know, just last weekend I was out at the Deerlease filling and moving feeders, uh, cutting shooting lanes, you know, doing some product. One deer blind blew over. I uh, had to help a buddy. Maybe he should get an all seasons, right? But uh, no, his homemade box blind fell over and literally crumbled into pieces. So we had to get that thing put back together and. Uh, he helped me out with some stuff. I was happy to help him get his setup back up and uh, ready for the season. I've still got a lot of work to do on my bow-only lease. That was my place up around Wichita Falls, uh, where I'll be primarily rifle hunting this year. But I've got that Collin County place, 25 acres that I leased, and we're going to put a couple of tree stands up uh, on that lease here in, well, I think next week, actually. So lots of exciting stuff going on. On that front, also headed to the coast this weekend, taking the family, uh, taking the kiddos, and my dad and brothers and I will do a little bay fishing, so hopefully y'all are having a chance to wet a line. As summer is winding down, can't believe it. Uh, I, I'm so excited. September 1st will be here before we know it, and shotguns will be ringing out all over as we celebrate the opening of dove season. Uh, so lots of great stuff on the horizon. As far as today's broadcast, uh, man... It's going to be a good one, and here's what we're going to do. Off the top, well, I took the kids to see The Lion King, the new one, the remake, and uh, I've had a problem with the Disneyfication of wildlife for, well, as long as I can remember, right? Okay, but when you talk about live action, meaning the animals now no longer look at all like a cartoon, they look just like a real-life lion, and then when you add human emotions and characteristics to 
the behavior and dialogue of these animals, well, that's called anthropomorphism, which means the humanization of animals. And this is a big problem, and we're going to get into that here uh, in just a minute. After we discuss anthropomorphism, that's a mouthful, right? Um, then we will be joined by Bob, Dr. Bob Dittmar. He is the uh, head veterinarian for the Wildlife Division of Texas Parks and Wildlife. If you're not aware, there's an anthrax outbreak currently going on in a couple of southern Texas counties. What is anthrax exactly? We all hear about it, right? Um, people in with today's media just think it's a white envelope that shows up at your door with some uh, biologically engineered chemical that could kill you, right? Well, that's not exactly what it is for wildlife, but it is just as deadly. And uh, it's pretty much Greek to me. It's not one of those diseases like CWD or EHD that we've discussed in depth on the show. So we're going to talk anthrax with Dr. Dittmar coming up here momentarily a lot of whitetail have already been killed as well as livestock that have been affected so far here in 2019. So it's bad news, uh, but we'll try to understand anthrax coming up in just a minute. And then we'll wrap up today's broadcast with someone who literally has me rolling whenever I see one of his cartoons. Uh, he is the Gary Larson of the hunting and fishing and outdoors, Tim Spike Davis, um, outdoor humorist and cartoonist will join us at the bottom of the hour. A uh, big fan of his work. I think you guys and gals will be as well, if you're not already. But uh, what makes him tick? And uh, how does he come up with his ideas for these cartoons that use animals to, in hunting, fishing, to really poke at social issues going on in our world today? It's, uh, it's, it's great stuff. He's, I think, a genius. And uh, he'll be here at the bottom of the hour. So that's what's on the docket for today. Uh, certainly, I'm excited about it. Hope you all are as well. A couple other things. Don't forget to keep sending in those hunting and fishing photos. You can send them to Lone Star Outdoors Show at gmail.com each month uh, for a chance to be our 2019 Photo of the Year Grand Prize winner. What does that mean? That means you're going to get to hunt Trophy Black Buck or Axis Deer with me down at Coons Canyon Ranch in Rock Springs, Texas. So email your best hunting, fishing, or outdoor photo to Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com. Also, for today's giveaway, we're going to use the same email address, Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com. And what do we have to give away today? Well, with Texas Trophy Hunter extravaganza season here, uh, starting this weekend in Houston, I've got one of their vintage 1975 TTHA t-shirts. Uh, awesome green t-shirt. Like I think it's like a replica of the first t-shirt they ever made. Also, one of their Show Your Skull caps. I've got a koozie and two tickets to the extravaganza of your choice. So uh, either Houston, Fort Worth, or San Antonio, two tickets to the extravaganza of your choice. All you have to do is email the word trophy, that's trophy, to Lone Star Outdoors Show at gmail.com, and you are entered to win. Let's take a break. Up next, uh, we'll discuss why the anthropomorphization of animals is bad, bad news for you and I. You're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Are 
Are you tired of waking up at 2 a.m. to fight public land skybusters? Cable here for Three Crow Outfitters and their new North Texas Duck Club, which consists of over 3,000 acres and 40 water bodies throughout Ellis and Navarro counties. Three Crow does the planting, provides metal blinds, decoys, and posts a weekly scouting report. All you and your buddies do is reserve the property you want and show up to hunt. This opportunity is limited to 10 four-person memberships, so for the waterfowling experience of your lifetime, go to 3curl.com or call 214-641-8097 today. Howdy folks, I'm Lee Hoffair for Hoffair's Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Hoffair's once again the number one Polaris dealer in Texas. Pike County, Illinois, and the surrounding area is hallowed ground for whitetail hunters. And with 21 years' experience, Golden Triangle Whitetails is the oldest outfitter in the state. Spread out over 14,000 acres, they have 350 acres of food plots, 500 tree stands, and over 80 box blinds. The guides take pride in having hunters harvest giant Midwest bucks. Golden Triangle Whitetail hunts the Illinois archery, shotgun, and muzzleloader season. They have a full-time chef and excellent lodging. Book your whitetail hunt of a lifetime by going to www.goldentrianglewhitetail.com today. I've been jailed a time of three And I'm not saying that's a man I'll be If you want someone you can count on You may be looking Cable Smith, welcome everybody back to the Lone Star Outdoor Show, the Bogarts. Take me as I am. Love that tune there. Uh, thank you guys and gals for being here today. We are about to get into a topic that I think is, uh, well, it's concerning with the way that our society is moving and the perception of hunters and hunting, uh, anthropomorphism, the humanization of animals. And I'm going to give you my thoughts on this very modern phenomenon in terms of human history anyway. Uh, but first, this segment of the presentation brought to you by Pulsar Night Vision and Thermal Imaging Technology. If you haven't seen the new Pulsar Thermion Rifle Scope, well, what are you waiting for? Uh, it's got all the bells and whistles from the Trail Series, plus a few new ones. And it's also a 30-millimeter tube, meaning uh, if you're a bolt gun guy or if you're an AR guy, it mounts on any 30-millimeter rings. Check it out. It's the Pulsar Thermion, and you'll save 20% off anything from Pulsar, night vision or thermal, when you use my promo code LONESTAR when you check out at PulsarNV.com. All right, uh, well... Like I said, anthropomorphism is something that is highly concerning for us as an outdoor community because, look, we've, we've had Disneyfication, right? Where folks think that uh, wildlife all just coexist peacefully with each other. Uh, I think the earliest one I can remember maybe is, uh, you know, the Jungle Book or maybe the Fox and the Hound. Uh, those are two early, early ones that come to mind as far as anthropomorphism. In what world do a fox and a hound become best friends and the hound gives the fox a pass? And then later on, the fox saves the hound's life, right? No, never going to happen. That's not reality. Reality is that hound is trained to track that fox and either catch it or kill it. That is the reality. Uh, Mowgli doesn't coexist and he's not raised by wolves, right? No, the wolves eat Mowgli. That's reality. 
1994, I remember my parents taking me to see the original Lion King. And by that point, you know, at 13 years old, I was the oldest of four. And so I had kind of grown out of Disney. I think Disney's great. You know, we all come back as adults. I look at these movies and they still stand up. They're great films. Um, but in, at 13 years old, I was like, this sucks. I do not want to go see a cartoon. Uh, I want to see Home Alone, right? <laughs> something like that. Uh, give me something that's PG-13. No, my parents are like, we want to see The Lion King. And Elton John's soundtrack, all that stuff. And it was a great film. I remember being entertained. But even at 13 years old, I could see the problem with that storyline where this lion cub befriends a meerkat and a warthog. Two things that in real life he'd kill and eat in a heartbeat. Not to mention Uncle Scar doesn't take Simba aside and come up with some plan to make him feel bad about his father's death and have him leave the pride. No. In real life, Scar takes one bite on Simba's neck, and that's the movie. Roll credits. Simba's dead. Okay? That's reality. Uh, so even as a kid, I was like, okay, this is just seems so phony, but it's got a cool soundtrack and blah, 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 blah. Here we are now in 2019. I'm taking my kids, my three kids, ages six, four, and four, to see the this Lion King remix um, where they they call it live action CGI, whatever it is. Basically, the, the animals look like actual animals. Technology has come so far that they are as lifelike as you can possibly get, which furthers this phenomenon of anthropomorphism in modern society. Because now, people aren't even connecting those human characteristics with a cartoon, which was bad enough, okay? Now we've got real-life lions who are friends with warthogs. We've got lions that are using deception and cunning, like, okay, human characteristics, instead of, just like I said, Uncle Scar just snapping little Simba's neck. Because that's what would really happen. And if you really want to know how lions interact socially, Scar would never have been around because Mufasa would have ran him out of the pride a long time ago if he was a threat. But yet, here we have a movie that already broke the billion-dollar ticket sales mark. Only the fourth movie, I believe, all time to do that in less than a week. Uh, and they've everyone has seen it, right? And so we have an entire society that is now being exposed to the opposite end of the spectrum of reality as far as what actually occurs in nature, that it is warping people's mind. And the whole movement of animals are people too, right? We've all seen these stupid protesters with their idiotic signs that animals have feelings and animals are people. Well, this just gives them more validation when they go see a movie like this, which is just based on total BS. And listen, I don't blame John Favreau, the director. I mean, he hasn't really done anything good since Swingers with Vince Vaughn back in the uh, mid-90s. But uh, look, he's made a mint off of this. And it's entertaining. It's not a bad movie. It is just a problem for people who are not educated. And so you parents out there, and, and this is the deal with my kids, they understand that this is just entertainment. And we discussed it in the truck on the way home from the movie about 
reality versus Disney. And they get it. They understand that the circle of life only goes so far because in that circle, the lion never tolerates the lamb. That's not reality. Uh, so it's up to you, parents, up to you, aunts and uncles. If you have you know, an Easter nephew that isn't raised in the outdoors, it's up to you to educate them on the reality of nature and how cruel it really is. Because as we continue to progress as a society, and I say progress in quotation marks because I don't think that progress is always good, uh, but it's a symbiotic step backwards for wildlife and wildlife management. Because let's face it, when people humanize animals, they have a hard time understanding that they need to be managed, right? Populations need to be controlled, and we as outdoorsmen and women are the ones who gladly take on that responsibility. But yet, they have to let us do our job. They have to let us buy tags to support conservation through sustainable use hunting, right? If we don't buy tags, there's no money. There's no imaginary conservation money tree with unlimited funds like they think there is. No, somebody has to pay for it. And we're only going to pay for it if there's a value there, right? And the value for us is feeding our families, having that experience going into the woods, uh, having a dearly drinking beers around the campfire with your buddies. All of that starts with a tag, a hunting or fishing license. None of that exists unless hunters and anglers are able to pursue their passions, have those licenses, those tags, and therefore have a reason to buy ammo, guns, bows, arrows, rods and reels, fishing tackle, all that stuff. Well, the incentive to have that stuff, that gear, to raise Pittman-Robertson dollars is because we have the ability to go into the woods and pursue our passion. Take that away, and wildlife loses. And and it's not, look, and it's not just Disney. I mean, we see it with pets. Like, look, Belle was, my, she just turned nine this week. God bless her heart. Amazing hunting dog. Big part of the Smith family. But listen, she's just a dog. She's still a dog. She's an animal. She's not a person. So you see people treating their pets as humans. I mean, I saw a lady at the hamburger place last week had one of those little yip-yap dogs that I call punters because they look about the size of a football, and if they got in my way, I'd just probably punt them. Uh, but she had one of those little punters in a what looked like a baby carriage, literally, like a stroller. And she was feeding the dog french fries, but first... <laughs> First, she had to dip him in ketchup or the dog wouldn't eat him. She tried to feed him one, and I saw this with my own eyes. She tried to feed the dog a French fry without ketchup, and it turned its head away. If that isn't anthropomorphism, I don't know what is, and it is a problem in our society, and it is a major problem for hunters and anglers. So, like I said, educate, educate, educate. That is all we can do. That's really the only recourse that we have educate our youth because they are the future of wildlife management. And look, we have a real problem with tree huggers, with animal rights activists pursuing degrees in wildlife management. And who loses? Once again, the wildlife. We need kids that hunt and fish to see value in that career choice. We need them to take those college courses to get degrees in wildlife management because we want people that hunt and fish managing our wildlife, right? Uh, the alternative is very scary, and uh, anthropomorphism is at the root of all that. I guarantee you, it is. 
So anyway, there you have my take on this uh, recent phenomenon, anthropomorphism in modern society. Uh, that segment of the show proudly brought to you by Lone Star Ag Credit. You know, uh, you'll never find Lone Star Ag Credit guilty of <laughs> disnifying an animal. No, uh, they want to hook you up with your own place to hunt, fish, recreate, run cattle, basically treat animals like animals, right? Uh, they've been doing it for 100 years. They'll do the same for you. If you're looking to finance your own piece of paradise, give them a call. You can find them at LoneStarAgCredit.com. When we come back, we're joined by Dr. Bob Dittmar. We discuss the anthrax outbreak that's currently going on in South Texas right here on the Lone Star Outdoors Show. The granddaddy of all hunting shows returns this August to Houston, Fort Worth, and San Antonio. The 2019 Hunters Extravaganza. We'll have all the latest in hunting gadgets and gear. Buy direct from the manufacturers and save. Bring the kids and see Gator Country's huge alligators. Last season's bucks from our annual deer contest. Live rattlesnakes. And enter our incredible locked and loaded giveaway. The 2019 Hunters Extravaganza. Returning this August to Houston, Fort Worth, and San Antonio. For details and tickets, visit huntersextravaganza.com. In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of Dallas and Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, and now McKinney. Visit BobcatofDallas.com or call 469-586-0000. I'm Craig Boddington. I'd like to invite you to become a member of Dallas Safari Club, one of the world's leading hunting and conservation organizations. As a member, you'll receive Game Trails magazine, a monthly newsletter, and invitations to our monthly meetings and special activities. Join Dallas Safari Club, an international organization based in Dallas, supporting hunting and conservation worldwide. For more information, call 800-9-GO-HUNT or visit our website at www.biggame.org. Hey, this is Razor Dobbs. Thank you so much for listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. I'm still hanging on to someone who's long gone who abandoned the house but left the lights on. I don't think I'll fall in love with you. I was on my way. I was trying to, but you got ahead and you let me off. There's the Dirty train. River Boys, the pride of El so Texas bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. Cable Smith here with you. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Thanks to Lone Star Beer and Hawk Tower Polaris as well, our longtime presenting sponsors. Uh, we are all set to get into a disease that, when it comes to both livestock and game animals, um, when you talk about anthrax, it seems to strike the fear of the Lord into folks, right? And uh, I don't know if... The stuff that cows and deer can contract is the same thing that some crazy anti-hunting freak is going to try to send me in a white envelope. I don't know. But our friend and veterinarian Bob Dittmer of Texas Parks and Wildlife's Wildlife Division has all the answers for us. And we're going to visit with Bob here concerning the Sutton County uh, outbreak that we've seen here in the last few weeks. But before we do that, this segment of the show proudly brought to you by Dallas Safari Club, the worldwide leader in big game conservation, I'd personally love to see you get involved with this great group of like-minded folks. Here's what we're passionate about. Hunter's rights, education, 
and conservation. For more info, check us out at biggame.org. All right. With that being said, let's bring on our friend and veterinarian, Bob Dittmer of Texas Parks and Wildlife. Great to have you here, Bob. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You bet. First of all, let's get to know you a little bit. Uh, Tell us about yourself as an outdoorsman and uh, more importantly, your role as a veterinarian for Texas Parks and Wildlife. Okay. Well, um, at this time, I'm the uh, veterinarian for uh, the Wildlife Division of Texas Parks and Wildlife. Uh-huh. Uh, but I've spent most of my career in private practice uh, in different places, but primarily in the hill country in Kerrville in Texas. But uh, I, I grew up in Gillespie County. My family's ranched there for a long time, and I still uh, manage or help manage my family's property there, which includes hunting. And I'm uh, uh, obviously, a uh, avid hunter fisherman, uh, and uh, we we have a, a long heritage of, of uh, wildlife uh, uh, management on our in our place. And so, you guys still growing those peaches uh, like you always have in Gillespie County? Uh, you know, that's uh, sort of being replaced by the vineyards, and that's I grew up in the western part of the county where we we were kind of a little shallower soil and and. <laughs> Not not a big peach producing, but yeah, there's still a few peaches over there. Uh-huh. There's a there's a famous song by Mark David Manders, Gillespie County Peaches. I I don't know if you've ever heard it, but it made me think of that. So um, yeah, wh- yeah, there's uh, there's no better ones in the world. That's for sure. <laughs> what is your favorite thing to hunt? Oh, I spend most of my time hunting white-tailed deer, but I enjoy hunting mule deer and, and uh, elk as well up in Colorado. Uh, I enjoy getting out and bird hunting when I have time, but I mm-hmm. don't seem to have a lot of time for that right now. <laughs> right, right. Well, so you deal with animal diseases pretty frequently. Um, I wanted to talk about anthrax specifically today. I think in 2016, you know, we saw an outbreak in Kinney County, uh, 30 whitetails, I think it was actually, on a on a uh, private ranch there. Uh, we've had some more cases last year, or 2017, then last year. Um, as well. So break down anthrax for us, though. Would it, you hear people talk about it all the time. Shoot, people, there's always scares of people putting it in envelopes and sending it to people, you know. So what is it exactly? How does it spread? Uh, start with that for us. Yeah, okay. Well, anthrax, and in, in, uh, anthrax is uh, it's caused by bacteria. Bacillus anthracis. And that that bacteria is actually form spores <clears> that spores that get in the in the soil and those spores can persist for long periods of time. Uh, you mentioned you know anthrax in an envelope and and that's really kind of a different uh, different horse there. Uh, that is weaponized anthrax, which has basically been purified and processed in such a way that it's highly infectious. Mm. Um, but but out in in uh, some area, I mean, and, and anthrax occurs worldwide in some places like Africa. It's a little more prevalent. Uh, but but in a little corner, a triangular corner there in uh, southwest Texas, that basically runs from uh, Del Rio to uh, Arizona uh, to uh, Eagle Pass. Um, we we see it quite frequently, and, and almost every year we have a case or two out there, and that that includes parts of Crockett, Edwards, Kenny, Maverick, Uvalde, mm. and Valverde counties. Uh, and so uh, you're right, we we uh, occasionally have these outbreaks. 
And um, what happens, we have the spores in the ground. Uh, and climatic and weather conditions, for some reason, cause those to uh, basically kind of come to the surface. And we tend to have outbreaks almost exclusively uh, after we've had a mild, wet winter and spring, and then we turn into a dry summer. And we, we basically this year have had perfect storm kind of conditions uh, to lead up to an anthrax outbreak. Uh, some of those areas out there had uh, record rainfalls. Uh, some of them had cement flooding. Uh, so we had a very wet winter, and now it's turned off dry, and that's that's the setup that we we see commonly with with anthrax outbreaks. Huh. And and you said these spores can live in the ground for a long time. Like how long? Like uh, six months, a year, a couple uh, years? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now we think maybe indefinitely, multiple decades for sure. Oh my gosh. Okay. Okay. So. We had, I know I read about an outbreak in Ozona, I think it was last year. This year, it's kind of hitting Sutton County. Um, and I've read that uh, like a, a pronghorn was affected, a couple goats, cattle, a horse. Um, has it infiltrated into our white-tailed deer population here in 2019? Yeah, now, now don't believe any pronghorn have been... Uh, oh, it said, a, it said antelope. So, yeah. okay, yeah. So it might yeah, have been a black right, buck or right. something. Yeah, yeah. there were some, I believe they were uh, kudu, both of them. Oh. There were two kudu. Wow. But yes, yes, we, we have had uh, white-tailed deer not only confirmed by the laboratory, but multiple reports of dead white-tailed deer that we, we are attributing to anthrax. Okay. Out there. And are those... And you're, you're correct. This year, the, the, the problem seems to have spread a little further north and east up around Sonora and actually north of the interstate in Sutton County, which is an area that we, that, you know, historically it's usually not there. Okay. And so can a white-tailed deer um, transmit the disease to livestock and vice versa? Well, um, anthrax is really not contagious, and, and basically the spores have to enter the body in, in some way. And uh, with grazing animals, that's usually through ingestion of the spores while they're grazing or inhalation okay. uh, of the spores. And, and like I said, they're in the ground or in the dirt. Um, we, we feel like flies have a role in transmitting this and, and other things like that, not only from... Um, feeding on dead carcasses where they, they might pick up the, the spores or the bacteria and then defecate or regurgitate on plants that the animals like might eat. Hmm. But also biting flies like horse flies could possibly pass it from animal to animal. And uh, this year seemed to, again, climatic conditions were perfect for uh, a lot of insects. And and I think the horse flies are probably the worst I've seen in a long time, huh. uh, just in general. Uh, even even where I live, uh, I'm, I'm, I live kind of the edge of that area. They're they're really bad. And uh, there have been uh, to me a uh, greater than normal amount of horses reported with it. And 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 let me go back. I said you know you can get it through inhalation, you can get it through ingestion, or you can get it through a puncture or some kind of entry into the skin, a cutaneous form. Hmm. And there have been, a, uh, for, to me, an inordinate number of horses that have gotten it and not only died, but also have this cutaneous form as well. Okay. So 
that's good news to know that these animals, it's not like super contagious, like uh, let's just say EHD or something like that, or CWD. Um, well, and, and, and um, yeah, you can, it's not contagious like that, but you can also have a large number of animals infected and die. Uh, because because it's you know it's scattered throughout there it's kind of ubiquitous, um, and and so um, I don't I don't we're we're trying to keep track of that right now and I don't have a uh, a really good number but I'm hearing some ranches reporting anywhere you know ten twenty uh, and more white-tailed deer that they're finding on their place dead. Wow. Oh, okay. So it is. It's quite a. It, I mean, is is this the biggest outbreak we've had in in say the last decade or so? Yeah, no, not really. Um, in 2001, there was a very severe outbreak. And it was it was centered much further to the south, uh-huh. uh, down in in southern Edwards in uh, Valverde County, which is Valverde County, down around Carter Valley, down in that part of the world. Hmm. And I, I've talked to some of the biologists that were working back during that time, and some of those herds, you know, they they reported losing over fifty percent of their deer. Maybe some of them, maybe at seventy-five percent of their deer. Wow, wow, okay, incredible. So it's kind of like the conditions; everything just has to be exactly right, and then boom, here we go. Sure. These animals. Uh, yeah. The the other thing, the the anthrax spores kind of require calcium to make the you know to survive, and so they like al- alkaline calciferous soils, which is obviously what we have a lot of places in Texas, but out in that part of the world for sure. Mm-hmm. So what are the physical signs? Once an animal has become infected, what what how does the anthrax attack the body, and is it always fatal? Uh, well, it, it basically attacks the lymphatic system and just causes overwhelming, uh, just overwhelms the animal, causes shock, and they die. And probably the most um, common sign is just sudden death. You find animals dead. Classically, they're bleeding from their orifices, from their mouth, from their nose, from their anus, uh, any body orifice. Now, they're not, it's not 100% seen every time, but that's the classic sign is is blood, unclotted blood from orifices. Uh, If you do see some sick, they generally are disoriented, stagger, you know, don't look right and, and usually die <clears throat> soon thereafter. Now, yes, there can be animals that have sublethal doses and survive, and those animals will probably have immunity and, uh, hmm. uh, you know, be, be okay in a, in a uh, future when conditions are right. Those are the ones that survive the uh, anthrax zombie apocalypse in the future. You're right. Well, yeah, probably not. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, are there vaccinations? So it sounds like this thing kills them so quickly that you're never going to know when one has it before, you know, unless you see them bleeding. By that time, it might be too late anyway. So are there vaccinations? If you did find one that was infected, um, and then also are there preemptive vaccinations that, that folks are giving that are, you know, effective um, at uh, thwarting the disease? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, treatment is, is uh, you know, by the time you find an animal with it, treatment is generally unsuccessful. Anthrax will respond to antibiotics if it's caught early enough. Hmm. But usually by the time, uh, particularly wildlife is seen, it's, it's too late and it's not really practical to, to treat those. Mm-hmm. 
there is a vaccine that's available for livestock and other and other animals, but again, it has to be given by injection, so it's not a practical alternative for wildlife. Yeah. Um, and, and so we're really pretty limited in what we can do for wildlife. Uh, even vaccinating for even vaccinating livestock, uh, you know, you need to have that vaccine on board and have that animal's uh, immune system. Uh, prime before the outbreak occurs, uh, and so once it once you're already into the into the outbreak or into the cycle, then, you know you're you're kind of trying to play catch up, and and uh, you may have already had animals exposed. Uh, the, the vaccine will not stop the disease. You're you're going to have to treat it with antibiotics to try to cure it. Okay, uh, but you you have to catch it pretty quickly. Luckily, humans are pretty resistant to anthrax, and, and I, you know we hear all about the weaponized anthrax and all that stuff. But again, that's a that's a special case, and um, um, humans are, are, are again, it's not contagious. It's not like a cold or the flu, so humans are pretty resistant. Um, most carnivores are pretty resistant, um, and herbaceous grazing animals are the ones that are most susceptible and most likely to come down with it. Okay, that's good to hear. So all of these scavengers feeding on these carcasses, generally speaking, not going to get infected. Generally speaking, um, you know, you, you want to be careful with your pets and your dogs. Uh, they, you know, don't you don't want them eating on a infected carcass. Uh, they can get it. Like I said, it's not impossible for them to get it, but uh, they're they're fairly resistant. So. Huh. Okay. Uh, the thing about scavengers, particularly when you're talking, and, and swine seem to be relatively resistant too. They can get it, but huh. they're relatively resistant. But you do worry a little bit about just mechanical transmission or moving those carcasses. The other thing about scavengers, going back a little bit to what anthrax is, um, basically when when the animal is sick and you have this bacteria in the body and it's it's in a vegetative form it's the actual bacteria itself um when it's exposed to air that's when it forms these spores that get in the ground and persist so the one of the problems with scavengers like vultures and coyotes and swine is they open the carcass and they expose that bacteria the vegetative form to air and then it sporulates mm. and that's how it persists in the environment and right there where that cow died 10 years earlier there's there's probably a bunch of anthrax spores right there in that soil yeah potentially i mean again you have to have everything happen correctly you know you have to have the uh the 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 vegetative form Inside the carcass, as that carcass decomposes and the the chemical changes that go on there with the decomposition and the changes in the pH and other things, uh, kill that bacteria pretty quickly. Uh, so it's it, it's not like they're just going to be you know spores erupting everywhere. But yes, those carcasses are a source of infection and, and environmental uh, persistence. The odds of a human consuming an animal that's infected. Um, so a deer gets infected. I go out and I shoot it, and I don't see any physical signs. Maybe he's just at the beginning of of the disease for for that animal. Um, does that pose a threat to me as far as consuming the meat? Yeah, there's, yeah. Two two things. First off, is the weather cools down, these spores become dormant, and they they're they're not infectious. 
And so for the most part, by the time hunting season rolls around, the temperatures drop to a place where the spores are not infectious. Hmm. Uh, secondly, thoroughly cooking the meat will destroy the bacteria. They'll also destroy the meat. Come on now, Bob, you know that. <laughs> you, who wants to, you want to serve your buddy some well-done venison? Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, <laughs> if it's not bleeding, it's overcooked. <laughs> don't, don't do it as I do, do as I say. Okay. Right, right. Okay, okay. Well, yeah. that, well, that's, and, that's and, again, and again, you want to, you know, you want to be careful with personal protection, wear gloves when you're field dressing the animals and handling meat, disinfect your knives and utensils. Uh-huh. And wash your hands very thoroughly with soap and water afterwards. Well, y'all do as Bob says, not as I do, because I still haven't gotten on the glove train as far as, uh, yeah, you know, if I'm dealing with a hog and I have a cut on my hands, I, I, I am a little more conscious about that. But I uh, I don't know. I, the blood doesn't bother me. <laughs> right. Right. Sometimes I like the way it feels it's, on a cold day. It's like, oh, man, that, that deer feels real nice about now. You know, introducing it into a cut well bob unfortunately we're out of time my friend but i've certainly learned a lot and uh appreciate you jumping on with us today thanks for having me anytime all right you have a great hunting season you too so there you go everything you need to know about anthrax kind of an anthrax 101 course there with uh texas parks and wildlife wildlife division veterinarian bob dittmer And we certainly appreciate him jumping on. That segment was brought to you by First Light's Catalyst System. This thing was designed with the whitetail hunter in mind. It's quiet, it's wind resistant, and it is the perfect system for the southern whitetail hunter. I mean, if temperatures are cold, but they're not unbearable, this is what I wear just about every day, Uh, even duck hunting. You know, if temperatures are in the 40s or 50s, you put on a base layer and you put on the catalyst over it, and you are good to go. Like I said, it's quiet, which makes it ideal for bow hunting. Of course, it's available in both First Light's Fusion and Cypher camo patterns. You can find it at firstlight.com. First Light, go further, stay longer. We will be right back with, uh, well, I just call him the Gary Larson of the outdoor industry. Uh, he makes me laugh every time I see one of his cartoons. And so I'm thrilled to have Tim Spike Davis join us next on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. But I gotta act right. I'm gonna dance with that girl tonight. Hey y'all, Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. The granddaddy of all hunting shows returns this August to Houston, Fort Worth, and San Antonio. The 2019 Hunters Extravaganza. We'll have all the latest in hunting gadgets and gear. Buy direct from the manufacturers and save. Bring the kids and see Gator Country's huge alligators. Last season's bucks from our annual deer contest. Live rattlesnakes. And enter our incredible locked and loaded giveaway. The 2019 Hunters Extravaganza. Returning this August to Houston, Fort Worth, and San Antonio. For details and tickets, visit huntersextravaganza.com.
Come on, radio. That's the Kyle Bennett Band bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoors show. Cable Smith, riding shotgun with you today. Thanks so much for being here. Uh, we're about to visit with what one of the funniest guys in the outdoor community. There's no doubt about that. Uh, cartoonist, outdoor humorist, Tim Spike Davis will be here momentarily. Uh, but before we get into things with Tim, who also... By the way, is a diehard predator hunter. He's eaten up with coyote hunting. Um, this segment of the presentation is proudly brought to you by Vortex Optics. Uh, check out the new Razer HD Rangefinder 4000. That's right. Uh, I was just talking to my buddy Jeff, um, one of my good friends and lease mates, a uh, guy on my dear lease, and he just took the uh, Razer 4000 to New Mexico and said, yeah, at 4,000 yards, he was re getting a reflective reading and was ranging elk out up to 1,800 yards. Uh, literally, just in New Mexico last week, ranging elk at 1,800 yards. That is pretty freaking awesome. It's the Razor HD 4000 rangefinder. You can find it at vortexoptics.com. Um, let's go ahead and welcome our next guest to the presentation. Joining us from the Windy City of Chicago. We won't hold that against him, however. It's my pleasure to welcome Tim Spike Davis to the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. It is my pleasure. So do you go generally by Tim or Spike? It's whatever you want to call me. Uh, there's a lot of Tims in this world. Um, I got a nickname as Spike back in the day when I was younger. Uh, I was in a Christian punk band back in the late 80s. Oh. So I got the nickname Spike. And so when I started drawing cartoons... One of my buddies is a professional cartoonist said his first suggestion was change your name. There's way too many Tim Davises in this world. So I just went as Tim Spike Davis to kind of <laughs> give a little bit of distinction. Uh-huh. Right on. Um, so so tell us a little bit about yourself as an outdoorsman. Like, What do you like to hunt or fish for? What do you live for as far as getting into the woods or on the water? Well, I, uh, unfortunately, uh, I live in the inner city of Chicago, so I'm so desperate, I'll take anything. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm not real picky. Uh, I love, uh, I mean, basically, I moved to Chicago at 16, and the church I work for owns some property uh, in West Central Illinois and Southern Missouri, and I would do a lot of trips down there, work trips and stuff, and that's when I got into hunting and fishing. Uh -huh. um, I'd grown up in uh, Colorado, uh, born and raised there until I was 16, and was never into hunting or fishing, and ironically got into that once I moved to Chicago. Wow. So um, my a couple of my pastors were really a big-time group, like in the, a rural Florida, uh, and they were kind of like the, uh, the, 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 they looked and acted like the Duck Dynasty guys. They had beards and were really into hunting. So they're the ones that actually got me into hunting and fishing. And Well, you got um, a pretty killer beard yourself. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, <laughs> when you start losing your top, you know, your head, you, you got to start growing it somewhere. But right. uh, they, um, uh, so basically, uh, with this property, that I was, it, most of my 20s and 30s, I was really into fishing. So I did a lot of, like, bass, anything I, you know, could go for. I did a lot of flathead fishing. I've got some pictures I'll probably send you, or I have, if I haven't already sent you, some, some big flatheads I'd catch, a rod and reel. Uh -huh. But uh, eventually I got into uh, um, making wooden bows and arrows, which led me into deer hunting. Hmm. And uh, killed a couple of whitetails with uh, homemade bows, wooden bows. And wow. then uh, 
Um, then somebody gave me a Randy Anderson uh, coyote hunting video, and I thought that looked like the coolest thing in the world. So uh, I got to mess around with that, and uh, this is kind of embarrassing to admit, but it took me about six years from the time I actually started getting into coyote hunting to the time I actually killed my first eastern coyote. And wow. um, That's dedication right there. Yeah, yeah. My wife would occasionally just gently be like, "No, you sure you're you're doing this right?" <laughs> I think other people are killing a lot of these like on a regular basis. And um, so I, uh, um, right around uh, 2011, I was a faithful subscriber to, to Predator Extreme magazine, and uh, I, you know, read every article on trying to figure out how to kill these coyotes and. Clearly, the coyotes weren't reading the same magazines because they didn't go along with my game plan. But uh, I started drawing cartoons for Predator Extreme magazine in January of 2011. And, and it's kind of funny because I'm drawing these cartoons about coyote hunting, but I hadn't yet killed the coyote. <laughs> and um, that spring, I killed my very, called in and killed my very first eastern coyote. And, man, I was pretty pumped. I was pretty ecstatic. Uh -huh. uh, and, uh, you know... Uh, the idea of uh, sitting in a tree stand waiting for a deer to come by all day just wasn't as appealing anymore as the whole idea of calling in a predator. Um, and, and I still will occasionally do some deer hunting, but overall I really enjoy uh, uh, the coyote hunting, the predator hunting uh, mainly. Um, so started doing cartoons for that magazine, which opened some doors to other people calling me and saying, hey, we'd love you to do some cartoons for our magazine. Uh, there was one down in southern Alabama called extreme hog hunter hmm. and uh they they got in touch with me and they're like hey we'd like you to do some cartoons for our magazine i was like well to be honest i've never hunted hogs so i have absolutely no idea uh what's funny or what's how that culture is you know i could look some videos up or and they were like well come on down and do some hog hunting so yeah. uh a couple months later i was in southern alabama and i assumed we were going to rifle hunt them over a bait pile but they're like, no, we're going to chase them down with dogs, and you got to stab them to death. I was like, come again? Uh, and uh, if you've ever seen somebody do that or ever done it yourself, you'll know it, it will ruin you for normal hunting. I oh, mean, yeah. I, it, I've done it a handful of times. Rush. It's yeah. awesome. Yeah. You know, actually grabbing onto a living animal that could put you in the hospital uh, and then having to tackle it and stab it to death is, uh, was uh, an amazing experience uh they got a ton of cartoons out of that uh trip uh yeah that's not and, for the faint of heart though you know I, it's, no i don't recommend no, it for yeah. every outdoorsman but there are there are quite a few of us who do enjoy yeah. that so yeah. so and then um you know just opened up doors uh you know one thing that i've realized with uh, my cartoons is if you can make somebody laugh they usually are going to invite you to come home with them and uh <laughs> I living in the inner city of Chicago, my wife and I both work uh, for a, a church here, uh, and uh, we've been doing that for 35 years. So, um, you know, I don't get the opportunity to hunt every day or as much as I'd like to. So, right around that same time, as my cartoons started taking off, we actually ended up just due to economy and stuff, we had to sell our property. And so, I was out of a place to hunt. The church had to sell it. Yeah, our church had to sell our property. So, and I, I was talking to my wife. I was like, I was, you know, hunting and fishing is kind of a big deal in my life, and to be stuck in the inner city is going to be tough, you know. And she just was like, Well, let's just pray and see where the Lord leads. And sure enough, right around the same time, I just started getting people on Facebook like, Hey, come on down and hunt with me sometime. You ever get some time away? And so I started traveling around 
I'd jump in a car. My wife was completely, uh, uh, she was a little bit like, you're going to get in the car, drive nine hours to hunt with somebody you met on Facebook. I was like, yeah. And, uh, I haven't had a bad experience since. I mean, I've been doing that for probably about five, six years now. And I've traveled everywhere from, uh, uh, California to, um, Texas, Arkansas, Kentucky, Montana, Wyoming, and uh, just met some of the most awesome people. It's funny, like social and, media is like a dating app for hunters, you know. It's uh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. and and you know, I'm sure there's people who've had some bad experiences or whatever. But I, again, I feel extremely blessed that every person that's opened their doors to me, and these are just normal Joe Schmoes. These aren't people who who own hunting uh, ranches or outfitters or anything. This is just your average Joes. And uh, said, come on down, we'll go crash on my living room, and we'll go hunting. And um, so, you know, again, like I said, it's just and it's just kind of snowballed since in the last probably five six years, where just getting a chance to connect with people. Um, again, I mean, there's guys on social media, and there's guys I've hunted with who have told me I would never have uh, connected with you or been your friend had you not made me chuckle and laugh over that cartoon, you know? Um, oh yeah. Just, well, you know, uh, the you, way I look at you is like, uh, Gary Larson for the outdoors, you know? Yeah. When I was yep, a kid, man. the far side was like a big deal. And, yeah. And, uh, the same way. I haven't, yeah, I probably started. haven't picked up one of those in, in 15 or 20 years. And then I, yeah. I accidentally came across one of your cartoons. Someone sent it to me, but your name was cropped out and I posted yeah. it on Facebook. And then you reached out to me like, Hey man, that's, uh, that's actually my cartoon. Would you mind tagging me? And I was yeah. like, Oh, of course not. And since then, yeah, I, no. I've started following your page, and I mean, all of the cartoons are great, hunting and fishing. Oh, appreciate so, it. Yeah. So, well, I appreciate. Oh, go ahead. What is your What is your most like shared or viewed cartoon? Would you say which What's the best one? Well, and that's that. That actually changes every once in a while. I mean, I'll uh, I'll put one up that will get a lot of uh, shares. Uh, up until probably this last year, the probably most shared one I had was. Uh, I did one and will appear and has appeared on different like, you know, hunting celebrities, Facebook pages, again, cut and cropped or whatever. But I did one uh, years ago. It was uh, a young buck and a young doe going off to prom and they're walking away into the foreground. In the background, you see the dad buck and the mom buck on the porch. And the dad says, I want her home before the rut. <laughs> and uh, the 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 young doe is looking pretty embarrassed, just like any young teenage girl would be, you know. And the young buck is looking like he's gulping and sweating, you know. So uh, anyone who has anyone who's been in the hunting situation can, you know, most of my cartoons, uh, I wouldn't say all of them, but, but a lot of them are just comparing uh, human situations in an animal perspective, yeah. um, you know, tweaking it a little bit. Obviously, everyone who's ever raised a teenager knows the idea of your kid and going off the prom. And uh, so, you know, to be honest, a lot of times when I'm not hunting in the woods, I, I'm not going to lie, I'm not that great of a hunter. Uh, uh, I I spend a lot of time thinking. And so a lot of times I'm thinking, well, what's that animal going through today? Like, why didn't that guy come, up, come to the call? So what's he going through? You know, what? Is he on paying the bills? Is he having his wife nagging him on him something, you know, or the mm -hmm. kids, you know, got to pick the kids up at soccer practice or whatever, you know. So I just, a lot of times I'll just jokingly think about what is that coyote or that deer uh, encountering? And a lot of times I'll just take everyday experiences. But within the last year, uh, I, since I started doing cartoons for Pradco and Moultrie, um, some of the ones I've done, I did one where uh a buck is speaking into a Moultrie camera 
then he's asking, uh, he says, Alexa, when is the rut begin this year? <laughs> and the wife is in the distance saying, honey, that's a game camera. Right. And it's just, uh, so that kind of was right around the time when there was a lot of Alexa commercials going on. Uh-huh. And people were really into Alexa. So that resonated with a lot of people. That got a ton of shares, tons of steel, you know, people cropping it and uh, taking off the name and the website. And then they just put a, you know, there's a couple of companies that would actually go so far as even to put their own watermark on the back of the cartoon. Oh, wow. As though that was their product. And, uh, you know, I'd have to reach out to them and say, Hey, you know, that's, that's my personal property. And, uh, either you're going to pay for it or you're going to remove it or tag me, you know? Yeah. So I, you, I'm uh, sure you get that a lot as people stealing your, your property. Um, yeah. Uh, I guess in one sense, I try to look at it uh, as a curse and a blessing because obviously no one's going to steal and crop something they think sucks. Mm-hmm. And so in one sense, I feel complimented that I'm, you know, people are actually uh, think it's worthy of stealing, you know, but uh, on the other side, it's as a person who's trying to uh, make my way into the, the, the industry and trying to, you know, make a name for myself, it's, it's disconcerting when you see people who are pretty shamelessly taking your your product, something you spent time coming up with and using it for their own personal gain. But yeah. and I, you know, it's it's one of those tough things. Is I've had people, ninety five percent of people I reach out and talk to, are really polite about. It. So sorry, we'll we'll do what we got to do. You know, we'll we'll tag you. We'll you know, on occasion I get people who get pretty uppity. Huh. And, uh, but, you know, again, I generally try to go with the rule of, I'm just going to try to outpolite them, you know? Yeah. Uh, so. Well, I think it was last week I saw one that instantly became my favorite, one of your cartoons. And it was, you know, here we are in 2019 in this crazy world we live in. You're, you're talking about your faith and, um, you know, working in a church. And mm-hmm. so for me, it's real simple. And I, and, and I am, uh, pretty left-leaning on social issues. I mm-hmm. vote straight Republican for a couple of reasons. Number one is I don't like big government. Number two is uh, I am about as pro-Second Amendment as it gets. Mm-hmm. And, and you, yep. in Chicago, <laughs> you're like, that That climate is completely opposite of, uh, of that. Oh, yeah. But, yep. but I still believe there's only two genders. Whether you're gay or straight, mm-hmm. there's still only two genders. You're a dude yep. or you're a woman, right? Okay? Yep. So there's no there's no third gender there's no I'm I'm uh, transgender or I'm uh, un, what is it gender neutral <laughs> right yeah yeah it's yep. crazy what we live in uh, if yeah. you have a wiener you're a guy if you don't yep. you're a girl and yep. uh, you had this cartoon anyway it's a a game warden writing this hunter uh, a citation and and the caption is and there's a buck in the background with an arrow in his back and he's standing there looking real ticked off. And the game warden says to the guy, "I'm sorry, but uh, he's the problem is he's identifying as a doe this season." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I well, I appreciate, like, yeah, no, that's one of the things that for me, like every day, I've I've tried to look through life uh, uh, issues that are, de- are we're dealing with as a country, or you know, I deal with living in the inner city of Chicago, and I try to twist it around and see again back to how can I turn this into a, a funny hunting situation, and you know. It, it, Kind of one of the key factors in that cartoon was he's uh, one of my problems, and I'm not I'm I'm a centralist when it comes to politics. I I definitely am pro Second Amendment. I'm there's definitely that where I lean more conservative, um, but 
one of the things with that particular issue is people are doing the thing where they jump back and forth. Uh-huh. You know, it's like, oh, I'm a, I'm a dude, you know, when it works for me, but when I want to go and uh, fight in the UFC, I'm going to claim I'm a woman. Yeah. You know, and it, it becomes more of a, it actually is working against women, which really bothers me because I see a lot of men who are changing their identity to compete in women's sports and they're beating the crap out of these women or they're, um, you know, destroying records. And uh, so for me, I kind of, the, the key thing was he's uh, identifying this season. So, you know, next season he may want to be a buck if it works for him. You know, it's, yeah. so it's, it's one of those things that, taking a pretty hot topic subject that people are getting really riled up in. How can I twist and turn that into a funny cartoon? Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of times there's things that I can have an animal do and get away with that. If I did that as a regular, just a regular human situation, uh, it either a wouldn't be as funny or it would get a lot more um, polarizing or a lot more. I mean, I have a lot of people on Facebook who would never even go hunt an animal who love my hunting cartoons. Yeah. Uh, I have a lot of people who are atheists who are friends of mine on Facebook who love my faith-based cartoons. Um, and so part of that, I take that as a compliment that I'm being able to bridge some gaps through humor. Again, like I was saying, I have friends of mine on Facebook who I've hunted with who've told me, dude, I never would have, Hunted with a guy. Somebody had told me, you know, five years ago, you're going to hunt with a guy from Chicago. They'd been like, hell no. Right. Uh, but, you know, being able to bridge uh, some chasms, social chasms with people through humor has been actually a very rewarding experience in my cartoon career. Well, and, and you know, it, it's kind of also going back to that blessing and a curse. I mean, obviously, um, the social climate that we are existing in today lends to some pretty low hanging fruit on a lot of these issues. Yeah. Which is uh, yeah, no, and there's an old saying, uh, like Oscar Wilde said, if you're going to tell somebody the truth, you should make them laugh, or they may want to kill you. <laughs> and um, you know, there's much to be said about that. Where I can, I can get away with making a statement about something, and if I can get people to chuckle about it, they don't have to agree with me, and they actually may really disagree with me, but they'll kind of go, oh, "That's messed up. That's that's pretty funny. Still messed <laughs> up, you know." Um, yeah. And again, it's not for everyone. There's people who've uh, been really offended at the fact that I draw cartoons about animals being shot. Uh, they find that very disturbing. Well, you know what, Tim? Those people are too far gone. It doesn't really matter what they think uh, because we're not changing their mind. So uh, we do need to work on a quick break, though. Um, are you cool to stick around? Because I'm certainly enjoying the conversation. Oh, yeah. That's one thing I'm not shy about is talking. Perfect. Some folks have even said that I do that for a living, Tim. So uh, <laughs> y'all don't go anywhere. Uh, that segment brought to you by Rustic Reminders Taxidermy in Marion, Texas. Josh and Becky Gunther will turn your next trophy harvest into a memory that will last you a lifetime, whether that's a fish, a duck, a deer, or any other animal under the sun. They've got you covered. You can find them at gr8mounts.com. We'll be right back with more from outdoor humorist and cartoonist Tim, a.k.a. Spike Davis, on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. I'm going back someday, come what may, to Blue Bay, where you sleep all day and the catfish play on Blue Bay. 
Hey y'all, spring is here, and that means a lot of things, but specifically, your lawn is about to become your own worst nightmare. That's why I use JC's Landscaping. They do everything from lawn and landscape maintenance to fertilization and weed control. New premium sod installations. Hey, you need a French drain? I had to have them put in a French drain a couple years ago. They do that too. Landscaping updates, makeovers, stone borders, patios, and much more. Serving the North Dallas and surrounding areas, you can find them at jclandscapingllc.com and tell them cable sent you. She'll come out like an angel Put my heart through hell I'm a fool to think I'll change you She plays the game so well We'll laugh and drink She'll say she was wrong Come tomorrow morning She'll be gone Cable Smith, welcome everybody back to the Lone Star Outdoor Show powered by Dallas Safari Club, thanks to Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris as well, our longtime presenting sponsors. And thanks to you guys and gals for being here. Certainly appreciate that. We're still visiting with outdoor humorist and cartoonist Tim Spike Davis. But before we pick it back up with Tim, though, this segment of the presentation proudly brought to you by All Season Speeders and Blinds. I just took a little chingone out to the uh, Waxahachie Deer Lease last weekend. Got it set up with a couple of my lease mates. It was pretty dang easy. Not going to lie. Two of us could have set that bad boy up. And if you're just looking for a blind for two to three folks to sit in comfortably, the big Chingon's little brother is the perfect fit for you. It's the little Chingon, and you can find it at allseasonsfeeders.com. Um, all right. With that being said, Tim, you know, why I really have been drawn to your cartoons over the last year or so is that you pick a social issue and then you combine animals and satire to shed light on that situation. And you do it in a way that because you're using animals rather than people, it's uh, it, it comes across as far less aggressive or offensive to the general public. Again, I live in the inner city of Chicago. So a lot, I get a ton of uh, good natured people who are living with a bunch of misinformation. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've been fed these lines about, well, these are how animals interact. Like when I go out in the woods hunting, I usually see animals dancing and singing and holding hands. And, <laughs> you know, I have to let these people know that's not the truth at all. It's uh, what you're seeing. Like I've had friends of mine in the Chicago here, like, how could you hunt those coyotes, you know, blah, blah, blah. And like, you own a pet? Like, yeah. You own a little pet? Yeah. Well, that coyote's going to come eat it. Mm-hmm. And And suddenly they go from in the conversation from, how could you kill that animal too? Could you come over to my house and protect my pet? Because uh, right. I saw some coyotes come by the other night. Yeah. And um, so it's 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 definitely um, uh, we live in a world where it's all about information and misinformation. And um, you know, the more we humanize uh, animals, the more people um, actually live more in a, in a weird world about how they interact with them. And uh, I mean, I see that in Chicago where we have more boarding places for dogs and cats than homeless shelters. <laughs> so we have, uh, we, we literally, these dogs are living in these lap of luxury while we have people who are on, you know, veterans who've served in our country living on the street trying to figure out where they can get the next meal. And uh, for me, I just find that absolutely crazy as a society like i think you know in a thousand years from now when some archaeologists are studying our society they're gonna well these people love their pets yeah more you know, than they did but, each other for sure yeah exactly yeah. so 
it's just one of those things. And again, like I said, I, um, you know, most of my cartoons will uh, have a little bit of a, sometimes of a macabre twist. I did one a while back that was really popular with people. Uh, I just actually sold recently was, uh, you know, that bottle cap challenge. Yeah. Where everyone's doing the bottle cap challenge. Well, I just, I drew a tie who's holding a pop bottle, but, and the, the cap is flying off, but the bullet has been shot. You see the path of the bullet, took the cap off, went through the coyote's head, and blew out the back of his brains. Um, <laughs> and so it's kind of a modern twist, or a, a, my twist of this funny thing that people are doing the bottle cap challenge. Well, that coyote was trying to do the bottle cap challenge, but he, he got shot in the head, you know? So, uh, you know, just trying to take the, and, you know, some people get uh, offended by that, upset, you know, seeing it. But what they don't realize is, like, uh, you know, that a coyote. In real life, that coyote would chase down and kill your cat, your dog. I mean, it's, anything. If it's meat, it doesn't discriminate. So yeah, and the, and the whole like you're talking about the uh, Lion King thing, the whole circle of life has become the most beautiful, wonderful song to sing. But if you actually portrayed uh, the circle of life in a video, there'd be a ton of blood and guts. Oh yeah, and uh, it wouldn't be a bunch of animals standing there holding hands. It'd be animals ripping each other apart while they're still alive and eating their guts out. And and me standing just... over them with a rifle at the end of the day. Yeah, exactly. We're the apex the, the, predator. The apex predator. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and it just doesn't have the same uh, selling appeal. <laughs> I mean, I tell that to people all the time. If if I literally drew the Bible out as it's written. It'd probably be an X-rated cartoon, you know. I and mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of scripture that uh, you couldn't show in a Sunday school class because it's just. Uh, but that's still the Bible, yeah. you know. Uh, and so what we do is we homogenize stories uh, to make it seem really PC and peaceful. And think about and it: a lion befriending a warthog, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, if I was a lion, I'd befriend one too, and then eat them in the afternoon. I mean, yeah. it's a pretty smart, smart move, but, but yeah, exactly. And that's again, uh, I've drawn some cartoons. I can't think of any off the top of my head right now, but I've drawn cartoons about that kind of deal with that philosophy of the uh, it's a um, the circle of life thing, and people people who are in the hunting communities or who have grown up in rural situations, they get it. They chuckle and laugh because they're like, they know, yeah, we named that cow Betsy, but at the end of the day, we had to eat Betsy because yeah. Yeah. it was either Betsy or us, and uh, or Betsy broke her leg, and it was either let her die slowly or shoot her head off and eat her in the afternoon. Yeah. Um, but city people generally, like, and again, like I've lived here for 35 years, they just see a packaged slab of meat at the end of the day, and they've become so um, desensitized to that literally that meat was actually moving around possibly uh 48 hours earlier or maybe a week earlier and uh, we don't see that we just see flesh in a cellophane package yeah and um i prefer if it's like a week get a little age on it you know yeah you know but uh (laughs) tenderize it Uh yeah and and it's you know again like i said people uh there's a lot of that stuff that as we're as and it's kind of frightening to me i don't want to get conspiracy theory or whatever but Frightening me to see people as we're moving away from these. Uh, when uh, when so, if for something were to happen where you we would have to actually go back to those days, there's a lot of people who get wiped out simply because they've been they they're clueless 
on yeah. how th- this actually, you have to do this to eat this food. Yeah. You know, you actually have to chase that animal down, kill it, skin it out, uh, cook it, and build a fire, you know, and so. Uh, and we call them in, vegans. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, you know, it's one of those things that, uh, uh, and even beyond the vegans, just the people who have used to all have the number two. Or I'll have the number three. You know, th- yeah. to them, literally acquiring food means calling out a number and somebody putting a prep meal in front of you and instead of thinking the idea, like, I'm actually going to have to go fish. Uh, I'm going to have to have the skill set to sit there all day and try to catch something that uh, then I will take back and uh, skin out. And, uh, you know, it just – but, again, it, it, it all, for me, adds more uh, cartoon humor. You know what I mean? Like, how can I interpret this? through a sense of um, making people chuckle and laugh about it, you know? Yeah. And uh, Well, so but, let me ask you this. Do you have any plans to put out a book like uh, like Gary Larson? Yep, I do. Uh, I mean, it's something I've been, it's been in the works and talks. I have a couple of buddies of mine who've done, uh, who've done hunting books in the industry who've come to me and talked to me about it. I, uh, my wife and I are in, a, in the middle of rehabbing our, an apartment that we're eventually going to move into. Um, and we're, I made a commitment to her that I would not start working on my book until that project was done. Hmm. Uh, but I'm going to break the world's record on the slowest rehab. <laughs> so the the downside is, of course, everyone's going to have to wait longer for me to come out with the book. The upside is I'm going to have a lot more material. Because yeah. in that time, in the last few years, I've actually come up with uh, – I, I used to uh, – would be it'd be good if I came up with four cartoons a month. Uh-huh. And now I'm coming up usually with like ten cartoons a week. Uh, just I'm just continually, you know, drawing and drawing and drawing. And a lot of times I'll send them to editors at magazines or social media outlets and say, "Are you interested in this cartoon?" You know. And so volume is definitely the thing I'm working on as far as just coming up. And it's kind of funny with uh, I've realized within the hunting industry, uh, there are cartoons like with Pradco. There's cartoons they won't run because it's funny, um, but they can't run it because it, it deals with, uh, like, safety issues. Um, uh-huh. Every cartoon I do for Pradco, if there's somebody sitting in a tree stand, they have to have a safety harness on. Yeah. that's They will not buy a cartoon from me. I've had to go back and retool a cartoon simply because I forgot to draw on the safety harness. Hmm. Um, and I have one cartoon. I think it's hilarious. They thought it was funny too, but they we just can't ever run it. It's a guy who's fallen out, a hunter who's fallen out of his tree stand, and you see him hanging from his tether, and there's two big bucks playing tether ball with him uh, around the tree. Uh, and just the idea of you know if you were sat there hanging from your tree stand tether, and suddenly two bucks show up and start. It's just the idea, the humor side of that. Well, they're like that's funny as heck. We can't run it. We're not going to make a joke about somebody falling out of a tree stand. Too many people die every year, get hurt. And so I was like, cool, I understand. Yeah. Um, I just then run that on either my site or uh, give it to somebody who, uh, you know, would actually be willing to run that. And, um, and there's plenty of cartoons that I draw that they're just like, yeah, it's funny, but that's going to either um, upset people. You know, and even within the hunting industry, there's just different people who. Humor is one of those weird things. There's certain things that people find really funny that other people just aren't wired. I mean, and again, I'm saying within the hunting industry, just don't like recently uh, with that cartoon that you you really enjoyed about the gender, the yeah. buck. Uh, 
I, I'm looking at the comment sections on websites that this is or Facebook pages that people have put this on, and I'm like, literally, no one. There's a lot of people who don't know how to take a joke. <laughs> uh, there are people who are like, um, "What's what's wrong with this country?" Like they're taking it, they're overanalyzing the cartoon. It's just it's just meant to be funny, but people are using it as almost a springboard to suddenly launch into this craziness, and um. Or they're offended by it, or and I'm like, Lord, it's just a cartoon, you know. So uh, I've run into that with certain things where I'll draw a cartoon about uh, uh, one of the. Most I'm sure that that cartoon wasn't received very well in California, for instance. No, no, I'm sure it wasn't. Uh, I, but uh, I'll tell you, one of the cartoons that I've probably had the most uh, like negative feedback is I've made a lot of jokes and cartoons about uh, 17 caliber. Um, Hunters, uh-huh. and I, I'm going to say for the record right now, so your listeners know, I, I would love to have a 17 caliber rifle. I'd love to go hunting with one. I personally myself wouldn't hunt coyotes with one. There's plenty of people who do and are successful, but most of the guys that I've hunted with in the last four or five years, who, if I'd have showed up with a 17 caliber, they wouldn't let me come hunting with them, and that sent me a clue that they just don't put enough uh, trust in the fact that you can make a a ethical shot on a coyote. So I drew a cartoon probably about three, four years ago of a female coyote grooming her husband, coyote, and she's pulling something out of his fur. She goes, oh, it wasn't a tick after all. It was just a 17 caliber bullet. (laughs) Um, That was greatness. But I posted it literally within half hour posting it. One of my buddies who's probably one of the most anti-17 caliber guys said, I'll buy the original, whatever the price is, you tell me. So... Uh, it got shared around. Well, some guy in South Africa got really upset about that and called me out, saying all this horrible stuff about me. And he assumed, must have assumed I was just a cartoonist pencil pusher from Chicago that I had never actually hunted. And he said, uh, this guy probably couldn't hit the broadside of a barn with a 12-gauge shotgun at 10 feet away. I saw this on Facebook when I happened to be down in state visiting some friends on a property that had an old barn. And so I went to the person, the, the lady who owned the property. I said, do you mind if I go shoot one of your barns? <laughs> and she said, I, I don't care. Just don't hurt yourself, you know. And here, so I set up a video and camera, and I mentioned the guy's name. I said, now, Justin Rinker has said that I couldn't hit a, bar- a barn 10 feet away with 12 gauge shotgun. So I don't want him to take my word for it. So I'm here to show him that I can do it again. I'm just trying to make a positive funny spin on it Mm -hmm. i could have said a whole bunch of nasty stuff about this guy but i don't know him uh so i just thought i'm just gonna try so i walked over there i had a pair of safety goggles on and i just walked over and shot that barn three times with my 12 gauge shotgun at 10 feet away and came back and told the guys like well i guess you're wrong i I can hit a barn at 10 feet away and it turned on to this whole chain of events where buddies of mine now are sending me things like man we got we got a barn problem in our property you think you'd come out and hunt them (laughs) And oh, it's just this running cool. joke of being the barn hunter. So for me, again, in situations like that, I'd rather turn it to a humor situation than uh, than getting it. There's just way too much on Facebook of people trying to see who can out say the F word to each other. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I just rather. I mean, I've actually met some and become friends with some people on Facebook. Uh, there was a hunting group of guys. I won't mention who they are, but one of them wanted to start an argument with me on Facebook. And I wouldn't take the bait. I just drew a cartoon about what we were arguing about. 
And the next thing I know, he's writing me, you're pretty funny, city boy. He's like, yeah, you come on down home anytime you want. And I didn't know if he was inviting me to come down there so he could kick my butt or if he was legitimately want, thought my cartoons were funny. Well, I kept sending these guys cartoons, and they eventually, like a couple years later, like, come on come on down home with us. So I actually went down there. I thought, I might be getting a royal butt kicking, but I'm going to go home. These guys were some of the nicest guys. They treated me like a king while I was down there, and uh, when I walked into their place – Every cartoon I'd ever sent them was up on a wall frame. Wow. So it was like, oh, wow. I mean, that's, you know. But these guys literally were the guys who were wanting to start and fight me a couple years earlier on on Facebook. (laughs) So just trying to be a gentleman or trying to be kind about it actually ended up working out better for me in the long run. Yeah. Yeah. Well, man, we're about out of time here. But uh, I I certainly enjoy your humor and and your take. Oh, thank you on uh on these yeah, a lot of it's social like we said social stuff that you put an animalistic uh you know animal spin on and, and apply it to yeah. hunting situation and it, it cracks me up your, your stuff really is well, funny so if you want to tell our listeners where they can uh find you so that they can uh you know start their day off with uh yeah. you know, one of your cartoons and a laugh it's well it's therapeutic. i'm, I'm uh... yeah well thank you i appreciate it and i i again i'm very blessed that being able to have something i can contribute to the hunting community. I, I'm definitely not a, it's not going to be for my hunting prowess, but, uh, uh, and Lord gave me a gift to be able to make people laugh. I'll use that. So, uh, generally I update most of my cartoons through my own Facebook page, which is, you can reach me at Tim Spike Davis, uh, on Facebook or Instagram is where I, and I also have my scattered thoughts cartoons, uh, on Facebook and scattered thoughts cartoons.com just on the World Wide web. I try to keep it updated, but I do a full-time job and my cartoons. And, so, and kill a coyote yeah, just, once in a while. And try to kill a coyote. Well, you keep making us laugh, brother, and one day I look forward to buying the Scattered Thoughts hunting and fishing humor cartoon book. No doubt about that. Thanks again, Tim. Man, it was a treat. All right, there he goes, Tim, the Spike Man, Davis, my favorite uh, outdoor humorist, no doubt about that. Hope you all enjoyed that discussion. Uh, the ability to make one laugh is it's truly a gift and tim certainly has that uh, check out his scattered thoughts website if you haven't follow him on instagram facebook all that good stuff and i guarantee you it will make your day that much brighter uh, that segment of the presentation was proudly brought to you by john x safaris 2021 date with the lone star outdoor show is already in the books it will be june 2nd through the 9th if you're interested and being a part of that safari, shoot me an email, Lone Star Outdoors Show at gmail.com. Unfortunately, just looking at the clock here, we've got to go, got to get out of here. Thanks to Tim, as well as our other guest today, Bob Dittmar, a veterinarian for Texas Parks and Wildlife's Wildlife Division. Uh, we will do it again, same time, same place next week. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of the Lone Star Outdoors Show. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying, y'all have a great week in the outdoors. Search for a dime Only found a penny To scratch them off I never was good at winning